Coming up Tuesday night this week, we have our annual business meeting. And see people, people grow, you know, it's like you can almost feel the groan in the eye rolls when you say that. But seriously, it's an opportunity for us to gather together as a church and celebrate the faithfulness of God in 2017 and, and where he's brought us. And we can look ahead and, and, and believe for where he's taking us next. So, so Tuesday night, man, it's like this is going to be the place to be. We're going to start with some worship and we're going to have a devotion. We're going to go into the meeting. But it's like I really encourage you to be here and be a part of that. It's going to be a great, you know, great part of church. I mean, it's, it's, it's not something to be avoided. I'll just say that. And, and, and even last week, speaking of celebrating, it's like, Easter was such a fantastic time, and it was like there was the services which were great. And, and one of the things that we did is we launched Faith Next, which is it's an area back in here, my left, your right, to the back, where um, if you're a first time guest or you're kind of new to the church, it's an opportunity, it's a place for you to go after the service, grab a coffee, and just kind of mingle back there. A uh, chance to get connected, find out a little bit more of the church. If if you want to get involved, if you want to get connected, it's a way to get signed up. For, like I said, baptisms are coming up next week. Uh, there's a baptism class after this service, actually. But there's some different things going. If you want to serve, you want to get involved. Or sorry, I'll put that. I'm going to speak prophetically. When you want to serve and as you want to get involved, there's there's a way to very easy way to do that uh, back through that and what Jordan and her team are doing. It's it's. Uh, I love the little steps that we're making and seeing how God is just blessing that. Last week, we celebrated Easter with the resurrection, what God is doing. We celebrated so many good things in the life of the church. And that is, as I say, that's, it's fantastic to be able to do that. But so many times... Those high moments of, I'll say, Good Friday and Easter Sunday are followed by the reality of the fallout of whatever happened the week before that or the, the a reality of what's about to come, right? So, so we, we have these great moments, but just because we had a fantastic Easter with fantastic services does not mean that suddenly, magically, everything in your life just fell into the place. You know, your, your kids get up on time, they, they, you know, they, they started to do the laundry, you know, the, the, right? Everything is, the bills suddenly were all paid and everything is fantastic. It's not quite the way it works. There were, life is still happening. Life does happen. And, and I love it when the grace of God shows up in my life because I recognize how much I need the grace of God on a daily basis. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can actually remember things that I've done wrong, failures from as far back as my childhood. You know, it's like, okay, welcome to, you know, counseling for Pastor Glenn, you know, open counseling session for Pastor Glenn. Like, I can think, and maybe, you know, maybe that's just me, but maybe you can relate to that, that sometimes you, you can think of that. And just preparing this message and actually going through this was enough to bring some things back to mind that I could recall. Some of my less than stellar moments. Yes, your pastor is human. Probably, yeah, to a fault. But anyway, but even being able to remember those things, and I'm not sure that that's healthy, but it's my reality, and it may be true of you as well, just to be able to, to remember some of those things. Because, and here's where I'm going with this, one of the defining attributes of our lives is how we deal with it when we fail. Now, I didn't say how we deal with it if we fail, because it's inevitable. It, it's part of our humanity. It's like, what do we do when we fail? 
it will happen. And that's really where the messages from this series found really start to come into play in our lives. Like we can actually begin to see those. And if you, if you've, if you've missed some of them, and maybe, maybe this is like, maybe you haven't been here and you're just here, you can actually go onto our website, faithhalifax.org, and there's, there's a tab there that you can listen to past messages, and it'll give you a chance. And, and, and I encourage you to do that because this message will make way more sense in the context of the first five. So that's just uh, uh, to be said there. So, faith halibut, yeah, that'll bring up speed. Okay. And those messages, there was finding identity, finding strength, finding purpose, finding passion, finding life. And all of these great lessons from the life of Jesus come into play when we fail. Because when we fail, our identity is challenged. It undermines, it's like suddenly it's like, uh, our, we question our identity. Our strength is tested. Our resilience is there. You know, it's like, do I have the strength to, to come through, to persevere? Our purpose is questioned, right? I mean, I'm not alone in this, right? You, you fail and these things happen. Suddenly, you begin to question your purpose. Your, your passion begins to dwindle because it's being absorbed by this incident or this pattern. Our life in Christ is put to the test. I mean, none of us is perfect. We will all fall short at times, and today I want to look at finding restoration. Finding restoration. And, and, and I want to explore that as it's displayed in the life of Peter. Up to this point, we've been following Jesus, and as these different things are displayed in the life of Jesus. But this, this case, I want to look to the life of Peter. I just want to pray, pause for a moment and pray. Lord, I, I, I thank you, God, for your faithfulness. I thank you for your love and grace that's poured out, that's fresh, that's new every morning. God, that you, you extend that to us, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that as, as your word goes out, as, as we talk about this potentially sensitive subject, Lord, that it would be something that would empower people, that it was something that would set people free, that it was something that would bring glory to you as we explore this idea of finding restoration. God, speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Peter. He was a disciple, apostle, fisherman, you know, a little rough around the edges, a little impulsive, kind of your classic roughneck. Now, Peter's journey, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's like in case you're not coming up to Easter, so the week preceding Jesus' death and resurrection, I want to give you a little bit of a highlight reel of that. As, as the fateful day approached, as, as the day of Easter approached, as, as we celebrated last week, Jesus explained to the 12 disciples that were closest to him that one of them would betray him. And history would tell us that that was Judas. And so as he told them that, they were, they were kind of disturbed by that. It was, in a, it was kind of a special moment. But then he says, one of you will betray me. And they're all like, well, surely not, God. Like, not me. Like, what? betray you? No, no, never. <laughs> So he took it one step further than that, actually. After he told them that, we can pick it up in the Scripture. If you, if you want to turn there, it's found in Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 27. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. And uh, Jesus has just let them know that you know, one of them would betray him. And he says this, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, 
I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter, right? Here's Peter. Peter says, even if all fall away, I will not. And Jesus is like, well, come on, Peter. I tell you the truth. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Closest intimate group of people. Jesus says, listen, Peter, I mean, I hear you, but tonight you're going to disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then there's this interesting little phrase that says, and the other said the same. Right? So it's like, Peter's like, no, no, I would never, Jesus, I would never deny you. I would die for you. And, and the rest of them are like, yeah, 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 like me too. All right, so Peter's that spearhead. He's the one that he makes the declaration. He puts the cards on the table. And the rest of them says, yeah, I'm in. Well, as you may be familiar with the story, Jesus was arrested that night. He was put on trial before a bunch of religious leaders, by the religious leaders. Peter snuck into the courtyard where this really mock trial was taking place. It was ridiculous. But he snuck in there and he was confronted by a slave girl and someone that thought they recognized him. And in the midst of that, sure enough, he didn't deny Jesus once. He denied Jesus three times. Now, he fled from that place because he hears the rooster crow, right? He hears that sound, and that must have grated on his ears because he left that place a broken man. He knew that he had failed. Not a good moment. Not good for our identity, not good for our strength, not good for our purpose, not good for any of those things. Not a good moment. Now, <laughs> we could stand in judgment of Peter and think, you know, we could be all high and mighty and condemn him for being such a coward. I mean, not standing up for Jesus, not being willing to take the heat when he was accused of being a Christ follower. Right? We can say, man, how could he? I can't understand. Like, how could he be that ridiculous in that situation? Or we can find hope for our own journey of coming back from the shame of denying our own faith, either by word or deed, by action or by lack of action, when we're confronted with the challenges of life in this fallen world. See, we can either choose to condemn Peter or we can choose to relate to him and find hope in him. I want to I pick up this story. I want to run the tape ahead, right? I want to pick it up further on. This happened. We know that Jesus was crucified. We celebrated the resurrection last week. He is risen. He appeared to them a couple times. So I want to I look at this. There was a day after Jesus was resurrected. One day, Peter decides, I'm going fishing. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I'm going back to the boat. That's something I know. It's like they're still trying to put the pieces together. Some preached that that was a horrible sin for him to do that. I don't know, but he did. He got back in his boat. 
He took some of the guys with him, and they went out fishing. And as the story goes, as he was fishing, they caught nothing. They fished all night. It was not a successful night. The following morning, as they're coming in, they're coming in from, from fishing, and as they approach the shore, someone yells from the shore and says, Hey, brothers, do you have any fish? And they're like, Not a one. And whoever's on the beach says, Try throwing the net on the other side of the boat. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Recognition's starting to go off, right? Throw the net onto the other side of the boat. And as they do, they catch this great catch of fish. They realize that it's Jesus on the beach. Peter jumps in the water, swims to shore. They bring the, 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 you know, they bring the fish in. They celebrate that. They sit down around. He's, he's prepared a meal for them. So they sit down and they have breakfast together with Jesus after his resurrection. Little picnic on the beach. It would have been beautiful. I mean, that would have been fantastic. I would have, I don't know about the rest of you, but I would have really enjoyed that. John chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, we can turn there. John chapter 21, it'll be up on the screen as well. I'm going to start at verse 15. I just paraphrased some of the first verses of John chapter 21. So John chapter 21, starting at verse 15. Keep in mind everything else that I've set up to this point. All right? When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, it's not really specific what the these are. I'm assuming it's probably not the fish. I'm assuming it's probably even the 12 or people that were around. Like Jesus might have said, Simon, do you love me more than these? Like maybe he gestured to the rest of them. Do you love, them, love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things, beginning to end. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would, be, would glorify God. And then he said to him, he said to Peter, he said, follow me, follow me. Peter turned and he saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This was the one who had leaned against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain until I return, what, what's the difference does that make to you? And he said it again, Peter, you follow me. Finding restoration being restored. This story of Peter and Jesus is such a beautiful picture of failure and restoration. 
I mean, Peter had absolutely failed. He knew it. Everyone knew it. It was obvious. There was nothing about that that was in question. They had all failed, for that matter. It's not that Peter was the only one there. There was none of them there. They had, they had all abandoned him. They'd scattered. Peter had actually not just denied him once. He had the opportunity to think about it and deny him three times. Yet here on the beach, around the campfire with a few fish and the other disciples, we see Jesus restoring Peter. Do you love me? Jesus said. I mean, it's, it's a fair question. Right? It's a fair question. Not an easy one, but a fair question. Do you love me? And I think the answer to that was something that Peter needed to hear as much as Jesus needed to hear. Like it was about rediscovering a point of reference. Jesus could have asked him any question at that point. He didn't ask him, Peter, why did you run? Peter, how could you fail? His question was, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Yes, you know I love you. And so Jesus, in that moment, says, feed my lambs. Now, oftentimes when, when, when we talk about the shepherd and the sheep, it's a reference to Jesus and his followers. Right? So I picture here, with Jesus saying, feed my sheep, or feed my lambs, he's talking about nourishing the new believers. He's saying, Peter, make sure you, you feed these new new believers that are coming, right? So that was the first thing. So then again, the second time, do you love me? And, and Peter answers, yes, Lord. And Jesus says, okay, take care of my sheep. Care for the Christ followers, the ones that are already there, the other disciples, those that, the crowds that have begun to follow Jesus. He says, take care of these guys. Take care of them. And then a third time he says, do you love me? And it says at this point that, that Peter was hurt. And I don't think that there's patterns in the Bible or for no reason. I think they're there for a reason. The third time he says, do you love me? And I wonder if in that moment, it's like, hey, this is the third time Jesus has asked that question. I wonder if Peter kind of in his own mind in the background was hearing the rooster crow at that moment. Like it was a, the penny drops. And it's like, and all the shame and all the weight and all the sense of running from his Savior in that moment came flooding back to him. And in that moment, Jesus says, do you love me? And Because Peter replies with, you know everything. And I wonder if it was even an acknowledgement, a recognition is like, God, you know. You know that I ran, but you know that I love you. God, you know that I failed, but you know that I love you. It's like, you know everything, God. You know every situation. You know every inclination of my heart. You know every thought of my mind. You know every action, good and bad. But you know that I love you, even in the midst of that, Lord. You know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my followers. It was like, this was important. There's anything Jesus could have said. He says, feed my sheep. 
Then Jesus tells Peter some of the details of his future, which isn't pretty. It's very, very likely a reference to Peter's crucifixion that would, would happen, that Peter would die for the cause. But he says, follow me, Peter. Follow me. Jesus restored him. If you think about it at the beginning, as I said, when Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were out fishing when Jesus called them three years earlier. They were out doing their thing. Here we are, we come back to it. Jesus and the boys are out fishing again. And once again, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. He didn't replace him. He didn't cast him aside. He didn't deem him, no, he didn't say, okay, you are no longer fit to take care of the sheep. You are no longer fit to lead. If anything, Peter's failure and restoration probably made him so much more qualified to feed sheep and to care for sheep and to walk than, than he would have before. P- people, people that have lived a little bit, people that have, have, you know, have been through some things, how much easier is it to associate with and to come alongside another and say, hey, been there. Got a whole closet full of the t-shirts. We can do this together. Peter, think of the message he had of faithfulness and restoration when he was dealing with people and would come up to people and say, no, I, no, I, I don't deserve that. Peter could say, hey, if anybody doesn't deserve the grace of God, it's me, but he loves me, I love him, and he restored me. If he can restore me, he can restore you. What a testimony. What a message that he had. There's a word for that. It's called grace. Grace can be a little bit difficult to understand. It can be a little bit difficult to explain. But here's a great video that I want you to watch for just a second that encapsulates that in the context of this story. So I draw your attention to the screen. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, His crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive, I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat, come on. Peter, yeah. do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you, yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. 
that is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty, and she said that the, there was an angel there, and the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so, me and John, we hightailed it down there, and if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. I want to read a scripture that was written by John. And he says in John 1.8, 1 John 1 8. He says, If you claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth truth's not in us. But if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His, words, his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, my dear, dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father on our defense. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. See, the truth is the enemy is a liar who is out to destroy all that God loves. Especially people created in his image. And I believe one of the greatest, most used tactics of the enemy is to keep us from accepting and living in the amazing grace of God. 
Grace does not minimize sin. Grace does not minimize sin. We need to recognize that. I mean, I believe in the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that brings us to the recognition of our brokenness. We have failed. That failure matters. It hurts us and it hurts God. But, but, now listen, a nebulous weight of guilt and shame that keeps us from God that keeps us from coming to church on a Sunday because we don't want to face people that we assume have it all together, shame that isolates and condemns, that's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit. That is poison. And that will keep us bound. Jesus engages Peter on a heart level. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, yes, Lord. Then follow me. Let's ask the team to come back as I wrap this up. And I don't pretend to be Jesus, okay? Just for context. But imagine this morning Jesus standing up here and saying, Faith, do you love me? Church, do you love me? You see, there's a million questions that Jesus is justified in asking us at any one moment. Any question Jesus could have asked Peter. But the question he chose was, do you love me? And I don't think it's too much of a stretch this morning for me to ask the same question. Church, do you love Jesus? And if the answer is yes, and I hope it is, I believe it is, right? It is. Then good. Follow me. You see, I believe that Jesus is calling us this morning and he's saying, do you love me? And when we say yes, Lord, I believe he is saying, all right then, leave behind the guilt, leave behind the shame, leave behind the failures of the past and follow me. Walk with me. Let's do this. You're not being replaced. You're not being rejected. You're not being condemned. Do you love me? Yes. Then follow me. He says to Peter, he's like, do you love me? Yes, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, then, then serve, Peter. Then do what you've called to, been called to do, Peter. Like, this is your moment. It's not over. It's just beginning. He says, yes, I've died. And, but it's like, there's something coming. The Holy Spirit's coming your way. Peter, this is it. This is what we train for. This is what we live for. You're about to be able to look after the sheep. You're about to look after the lambs. You're about to look after, your, to care for all of those things. And I believe this morning, as we answer that question, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then, then maybe God's asking us, it's like, all right, do you love me? Follow me. Feed, feed, feed the lambs. Feed the new believers in the midst of the church. Maybe we could encourage them, pour into them, disciple them. 
The next generation that's, that's rising up. Oh, man, what a generation we've got rising up in this church. Mm. An opportunity. Feed my lambs. Don't scatter them. Nurture them. Encourage them. We've got an opportunity. Do you love me? Yes. Let's pour into the next generation. Let's believe. Maybe it's, maybe it's getting involved with City Life Youth. Maybe it's getting involved in, in City Life Kids in, in the nursery and saying, you know what? This is the next generation. I'm going to nurture it. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to pour into it. I'm going to believe in it. I'm going to see it prosper and flourish and see it take on the city. Do you love me? Do you love me? <laughs> Do you love me? Yeah, take care of my sheep. Take care of the sheep. I believe God's calling us to minister to the needs of others. I believe he's like saying, hey, if you love me, let's serve. Let's do this together. Love people. Care for the sheep. Care for others. If they're hungry, get them something to eat. If they're lonely, spend some time with them. If they're discouraged, encourage them. If they need some direction, give it to them. But guide them, don't drive them. Take care of the sheep. Follow me. Follow me. Gee, I love it that Jesus forgave Peter. He restored Peter. And he put him right back on mission. Let's stand together. What about you this morning? Because I believe that, that when failure comes, it can undermine a lot of things and it can cause us to get stuck. It can cause us to back off. It can cause us to, to, to let some things go that God never intended to let go. And I'm thinking that maybe there's probably some people here this morning that have allowed failure to disqualify them when God hasn't. <laughs> you know, sometimes our greatest failures when we surrender them to God and, and we allow him to restore us, become some of our greatest means to minister to others. And I know that's not fun. And I, and I know that's not the way we'd really like to do it, but it's, often that's the way it happens. So this morning, let me ask, like, what is it that perhaps you have walked away from? Maybe you've... you've had a course change. You've, you've decided this, like, no, I am, I, I know. You disqualify, I'm, we disqualify ourselves. You're thinking about those things, you know, you, you, years ago, maybe, you heard, it's like, Jesus called to you, and you answered, and it's like, man, this is amazing, and you declared in that moment, it's like, Jesus, I'll go to the, man, I'll die for you. Jesus, whatever it is, I'll do it, I'll do it, Lord, I'm with you. Time goes by, life happens. Distractions come. And in a moment of crisis, we deny the Lord. In a moment, we say, well, what's the point? There's a lot of words I could use right there in that moment, that, but I won't. But you know, we throw our arms up in the air and we say, well, that's it. This morning... The question that Jesus poses to you is not, how could you? The question that Jesus poses to you is, do you love me? 
And folks, once we get that answered, his next thing is follow me. Follow me. Follow me.